0: Oh You're stepping Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews broadcasting from Oshkosh, Wisconsin and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Eau Claire. And Super Bowl 48, which was anticipated as the matchup between the Broncos and Seahawks even before the season began, finally took place yesterday. And boy, did it not look as we expected. The Seattle Seahawks demolishing the Denver Broncos 43-8. to And at times, it wasn't that close. Um, Just domination from whistle to whistle. The Denver Broncos trailed for all but 12 seconds of the game yesterday, uh, starting out right away having problems, and Seattle certainly their their share of problems with Denver. Um, M- Matt, there are so many different superlatives to describe the greatness of Seattle's performance yesterday, I guess adjectives, not superlatives, uh, adjectives to describe Seattle's performance yesterday and uh, Denver's uh, lack of performance yesterday. Which one of those uh, came across more strongly for you? I think definitely
1: Denver. Um, I mean, you would expect to play your best game in the Super Bowl, and that's exactly what Seattle did. But you would think that, you know, Denver could have at least matched punches a little bit. They just took it on the chin. I mean, they just got absolutely beat down. And, I mean, the fumble problems, the the poor throws. I mean, Peyton always throws ducks, but usually they're completion ducks. Mm-hmm. And uh, and these were just you know, a bad, bad couple of interceptions. Just getting hit the whole time. The offensive line looked bad. I know Seattle's defense is good, but... You know, Denver's offense hasn't looked this bad in a long time, and that Seattle defense, frankly, I mean, has been great all year, but that's about as good as Mm -hmm. they've looked, too, against what
0: was supposed to be the best offense in the league. Yeah, not only in the league, of all time, from a statistical standpoint. And, yeah, Seattle's defense... I had confidence in them, and I, I said that on our last show, and I've said that to anybody who asked my opinion about this game, that I expected Seattle to win because the number one offense has usually always defeated the number one defense. Uh, the only exception in Super Bowl history is the 89 Broncos against the 89 uh, 49ers, where the Niners famously scored 55 points, but Denver played in an absolutely dreadful AFC that year, and the 49ers had the second best defense in the NFL that year, so it kind of skewed things a little bit, but I was quite, I mean, I was confused as to why Denver was so bad, because Seattle's defense was good, but... It wasn't like they were the '85 Bears, where everybody all year was just getting stomped by them. I mean, Seattle went to their stadium and scored almost 20 points. I mean, they've had some close calls. Indianapolis scored 36 on them. Seattle certainly was very good all year, but it's not like they were a historically dominant defense. And Denver, I have seen games between Wisconsin and UMass that didn't look that lopsided on uh, from a defensive standpoint.
1: Yeah, I mean, just while like you said. It. I mean, they were great all year, but they just looked, you know, an, an extra level yesterday. And it's, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what happened. I mean, they brought it, and I, I think a lot of it has to do with the offensive line for Denver. I mean, that seemed to be where all the uh, the problems kind of stemmed from. But even that doesn't account for the the strange fumbles and things mm-hmm. like that that happened too. It was just mm-hmm. a really bizarre performance. I, I kind of expected a Seattle win, but I didn't expect that at all.
0: Yeah, and I guess I would like to see the game again to yeah. try to figure out why. I. And we'll get into more on Peyton Manning because uh, he's been talked about quite a bit today. I couldn't tell actually watching the game if it was his fault, if he didn't have anywhere to throw the ball, or if um, – I, I guess I don't know. The only thought I could have is if Seattle found a way to effectively recognize or defend that Denver crossing pick play – Then that pretty much takes away the bread and butter of that Denver offense and then all their downfield stuff doesn't work. You got one on one against some of the best corners in the league. And maybe it's as simple as the matchups that these Denver receivers aren't quite as good as the Seattle secondary. But I mean, certainly Demarius Thomas had to face somebody that was his equal this year and Eric Decker. And I mean, up until they scored no fewer than 24 points all year. And I think in the regular season, they didn't score under 30 in any individual game. Um. So, I mean, I, I don't even know. I have no idea uh what might have caused that.
1: Right, and I mean, this Denver defense or offense kind of slowed down in the playoffs. They looked great against New England, but they'd only averaged twenty-five points over mm-hmm. the two games mm-hmm. as well. And I mean, it's got to be kind of a shock that was against teams like you know. New England and teams with defense that weren't nearly what Seattle's was so mm-hmm. imagine coming into a game like that and all of a sudden get smacked in the mouth by an NFC team and you're just not used to that I I could imagine that's kind of a shock too
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean probably the top five defenses in the NFL I don't know statistically but they're probably all in the NFC
0: oh I would think so yeah um so
1: I mean that's got to be one thing but it for, for them to get that kind of pass rush but then to have the corners that can still match up man to man I mean how, what a better way to stop a great offense than that. Mm-hmm. Payton has no time, and there's nobody open. I mean, that's a perfect combination. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess I don't know what you do. His line didn't do a good job, and everything worked for Seattle, it, it gets, I guess. But I imagine, like, my first point, it was, it was probably kind of a shock to that offense to, to go against that yesterday.
0: Yeah, and as good as Denver's offense was, it seems to be strangely one-dimensional in the aspect of, they just do their stuff, and they just execute properly and Peyton Manning has always been fantastic, but he he beats you because he's the smartest he doesn't necessarily beat you because he's the best athlete and and maybe that's kind of the key to some of his woes in the playoffs here is that if you take a a uh, uh, Brett Favre or even a guy like a Joe Montana And you put him in a box He's going to improvise, he's going to be able to roll out He's going to be able to do some of those things Peyton's at the point in his career where rolling out a- Appears to be something that he's not capable of doing Yeah, he-, he just has to stand in the pocket And beat you with a throw And once you get a- against these elite level players it- It's just not going to happen So Before we go into maybe the Peyton Manning conversation The other Dominating conversation today is the Seattle Seahawks, fittingly, they're the Super Bowl champions, the most dominating performance in over 20 years, uh, one of the most dominating performances in the entire history of the Super Bowl, and their trajectory the last couple of years has been very similar to that of the early 90s Dallas Cowboys. A suffocating defense, an incredibly talented, balanced offense, some special teams players, a... Kind of a bullish rah-rah coach That lets his guys really take it To the edge in terms of off the field discipline But expects them to be Disciplined and fundamentally sound on the field I mean if There's been many teams that have been crowned As the next Cowboys since that team had That dynasty but I think Seattle Resembles them as close as anyone And I guess first of all What are the odds that this team becomes the next Great dynasty in the NFL And um, I guess do you see that similarity As well
1: Sure, I do. And just real quick on that comparison, I, you would probably know this better than I would. What what are kind of Russell Wilson's stats compared to Troy Aikman? Because I guess when I think back to it, I think of Aikman being a little bit more of a passer than Wilson has been. But I know the eras changed a lot too. They might be very similar.
0: Yeah, adjusting for inflation, they're probably uh, similar. Um, Russell Wilson's is going to be better because they don't throw as many interceptions nowadays. Um, Aikman never threw a lot of touchdown passes. He's a strange guy, and I hope maybe when we do our Top Ten Quarterback show, we'll have an opportunity to touch on him, whether he's in our our list or not. But uh, I would say both were incredibly efficient passers, especially early on in their career. And the difference, obviously, being that Troy Aikman was your traditional drop-back passer. He ro- rolled out. He would be tough in short yardage running, but he certainly wasn't making the kind of plays Russell Wilson was. But he he might have been... Uh, I. I I would say he probably was a better downfield passer than Russell Wilson was. So I think it balances out. They're pretty much the same. System guys at the risk of making that sound negative.
1: But I guess in terms of a a potential dynasty here, they definitely have the makings for it. The only thing that concerns me is, well, first of all, you have the 49ers in your division. Yeah, that's Um, big. On top of, as well, and this is another thing that's very similar to that Cowboys team is probably the rest of the power teams in the NFL are all in your conference. Mm-hmm. Um, you could call maybe the Broncos the Bills of this time, where <laughs> they might be in the Super Bowl the next four years. Yeah. But they're going to be playing, you know, San Francisco and Seattle and New Orleans and those teams. Mm-hmm. Um but, I mean, they definitely have the makings and the potential to do it. I would think the one thing that might stand in their way is a lot of contracts that are going to be coming up here soon. And mm-hmm. Russell Wilson, who you're paying under a million bucks a year now, I believe, and he's definitely not going to be making that for long. Sure. Um, so trying to keep together the, the defense mostly is going to be the tough part. Mm-hmm. They're just – it almost seems hard to imagine a, a modern-day dynasty now, and I know it doesn't seem that long ago since New England, but mm-hmm. it just feels like the NFL's even changed a lot from 10 years ago too. It's kind of mm-hmm. hard to picture – Mm-hmm. Um, a team even as good as Seattle, you know, making the Super Bowl for, you know, three out of four years or four out of five years. It, it just seems kind of hard to fathom.
0: Yeah, and I think the point you made about San Francisco is huge. It, that by the time Dallas came to prominence, Washington was dead. The Giants were long gone. Uh, Philadelphia never was anywhere close to the level of those other three teams, but were already fading fast. And so for the most part of that Dallas dynasty, they pretty much had a free pass to the division championship, and their only competition was San Francisco and, to a very limited extent, the Packers. This team is going to... I would think them and San Francisco are probably going to trade the division quite often. They're both going to be there every year. And some of these good teams are just going to get a chance. The other good teams in the conference are going to get a chance to play Seattle at home. And you think one of them years or multiple times that they're just going to falter by, you know, the the road to the Super Bowl being one game longer and yeah. on the road. Um, the contract is a great point, too, because Dallas kind of was able to ride that transition period. They've got most of those guys prior to the institution of the salary cap. And I I'm not all that up on the front office kind of stuff of that era, but I was reading something recently about the 49ers and how they had rushed to sign everybody prior to the cap going into the place. And there was something where there were certain parts of contracts that if you negotiated them right you could kind of bend the salary cap rules, and then those people would get grandfathered in. So that's why, even with the salary cap, Dallas still got to retain basically everyone that they had prior to the salary cap, and the same for the 49ers. So that's obviously not going to be an option for Seattle. But <laughs> uh, I don't know, John Schneider seems to be hitting on all of his picks recently. and um, But then again, we said that about Ted Thompson and why the Packers were going to be a dynasty three years ago. <laughs> so yeah. who knows?
1: Yeah, and that's true, and not to get too much into the Packers now, because I know we will later, but, I mean, one of the frustrating things is you see how these teams are built, and they're very similar mm-hmm. um, in terms of, you know, a lot of late-round draft picks, a lot of undrafted free agents and things like that. But, I mean, you look at Seattle, and they've got you know, Percy Harvin, Marshawn Lynch, you know, Heath Miller, uh, you know Cliff Averill. Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of players that we just refuse to get. I mean, when was the last time that Ted traded for a good player or hit big in free agency on a good player? So, I mean those kind of players can be the difference they might not have been in the super bowl had they not you know done those kinds of deals as well mm-hmm. um, but how long has schneider been there now
0: i think since 2010 i want to say 2009 I mean, maybe
1: what they've done is insane. I mean, it almost seems impossible how they've hit on seemingly everything. Yeah. And I know we talked about this a couple weeks ago. How you know, once you've got a few players on that defense, maybe it sparks the rest of them just to be better. But at the same time, I mean, you're bringing in players that can play. I mean, you can see that mm-hmm. um, everybody on that defense is a star. It seems like, and mm-hmm. uh, and enough offense to go around. So it, it's it's really really impressive, and it's it's hard to say that we should be duplicating that because yeah. what they've done is almost unprecedented.
0: Yeah, trying to say to duplicate that is... I mean, people said that about Dallas in the 90s. It's like, just draft like 20 really good players. I mean, how hard is that? Draft the best running back uh, of of his generation. Is it that hard to do? Um, Well, maybe Barry Sanders is the best, but I I can't even... Even in my own head, I can't even make points because I just want to debate who's the best of all time, especially with (laughs) the Peyton Manning stuff. But yeah, it's incredibly hard to duplicate what they've done. Um. And that kind of brings me to the next thing I wanted to talk about, is Denver scoring eight points after scoring over 600 points in the regular season, 37.9, the best all-time by almost 30 points. And But once again, much like the Packers have been recently, the Patriots, they allowed almost 400 points, which is almost 25 a game. And... I was to the point watching Denver just get destroyed that if Aaron Rodgers' contract or if the Packers' structure or their coaching staff is catered to have a high-powered offense and a suspect defense, I was willing to rebuild tomorrow. Because if this team couldn't do it, and the 2012 Patriots couldn't do it, and the 2011 2011 Packers, Saints, and Patriots couldn't do it, who the heck of these great super-powered offenses can – and I was looking at a stat. I know I've seen some others thrown around, but outside of the 2009 Patriots that had the luxury of Peyton Manning throwing them the Super Bowl, no team that has scored 30 points a game but allowed 20 points a game in a season has ever won the Super Bowl. They're they're one and 12 uh, in um, their quest to win the Super Bowl in those um, for those types of teams. So I don't know about you, but If your team is this high-octane offense that just scores, 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 and just kind of says, oh, we don't need to invest a lot in defense or whatever, it seems to be you can't find that – con. That teams seem to be having a difficulty finding that right combination with a super all-time great offense, and they always come up short. Um, I don't know your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, and they just seem so fragile. That's the best word for it, yeah. It seems like if you have such – Such a good defense like Seattle They're going to be there every game That's 11 guys Whereas if you have an offense like the Packers You know it's Aaron Rodgers He has one bad game You're done You have no chance so in order to win a Super Bowl, you've got to do what he did in 2010 mm-hmm. and just have an outrageous run. Granted, their defense was a lot better that year, too.
0: Yeah, second, um, second in the league in scoring defense.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, that's what you kind of have to do, though, is to have a game where he's putting up 40 points a game because if you don't, you're going to get knocked out. Mm-hmm. So that's why all these teams, it's it's so hard to string together three or four games like that for a mm-hmm. quarterback, even as good as Peyton Manning Um to do that consecutively for that many games, it, it's really hard to do. So <laughs> I guess it's, yeah, I mean, the, the odds are much worse, as you can see by the numbers you said. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it does, definitely doesn't seem the way to go.
0: Yeah, and it almost seems like the football equivalent of the Bull Ryan offense, where it's built to yeah. always win a ton of games, but if you rely on kind of a perimeter jump shot offense, that undoubtedly you're gonna have one game when you have to win all of them in a row, where you're just not gonna shoot very well. And then you're gonna lose. And it feels like all of these high octane offense, I mean, I mean, look at them. They haven't just lost. Denver scored 8. New England was the 3rd highest or 4th highest scoring team ever last year. They scored 13 in their loss. The Packers scored 20. The 2011 Patriots scored 14. I mean, they're just getting completely shut down, and in a lot of cases, just completely blown off the field.
1: Yeah, that's a really good comparison too. I mean, you look at the NCAA tournament, all these three-point jacking teams, you'll see teams like Cornell and and all these other little teams make it all the way to the Elite 8 or the Final 4, but then you got to go up against some big-bodied guys and, you know, you're you're guaranteed to have a a slow shooting night or a cold night and then you're just done for. So, mm-hmm. I think that's a really good comparison.
0: Yeah, so uh Aaron Rodgers on the market? Is that what we're saying?
1: <laughs> yeah, not a chance I don't think.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I guess uh well, we kind of talked about that last time. Is that hopefully uh, they can get a? I don't know though. Now I I thought maybe they're one or two good players away. But watching Seattle yesterday, they're like one or two, not just good. I mean I I said that to you yesterday that they almost need to draft Troy Paul 2004 Troy Palomalu tomorrow, mm-hmm. or well tomorrow would be difficult since the draft is not for months. Uh, but you, I mean that <laughs> in May. I mean. Or some—I mean, I don't even know if you got two Clay Matthews, that was a good recipe for a lot of six-and-ten teams, you know. And um, Houston, if they got Jadavian Clowney, are they all of a sudden going to be a Super Bowl team because they got a ridiculous pass rush? I mean, the Giants' pass rush was good this year; they were seven and nine. They—I uh, I, I guess I'm—I don't have the answers, but it felt like the Packers were way far away from a Super Bowl title watching Seattle play yesterday.
1: Yeah, I would not that it's possible, but I was glad not to be the team on the other side of that Seattle team yesterday because I think pretty much anybody would have had that same outcome.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. The MVP—I already forgot his name. Who's the MVP of the Super Bowl?
1: Oh gosh, I was—I keep forgetting it too. I've been trying to remember it all day. Something
0: Smith. Oh, um, yeah. Shoot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a... Hold on, I got i, <laughs> I got—I got my stat sheet here. Malcolm Smith. There you go. He'll be the Dexter Jackson of his generation, I guess, where everybody just kind of forgets about him. Uh, I think he's a uh, USC Trojan, so people are pretty excited there, I'm sure. Russell Wilson was snubbed. I heard a few rumblings that he uh, was snubbed. He had a very efficient game, but the numbers were not... All that impressive. Uh eighteen at twenty five, two hundred six yards, two touchdowns, a quarterback rating in the one twenties. Certainly uh, a very, very good game by Russell Wilson, but his first touchdown pass didn't come until the uh three minute mark of the third quarter and his team was already up twenty nine to zero.
1: And he didn't exactly do a lot on that pass play either to get cursed in the end on that was oh. an incredible run.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. So I think he definitely played his part but was not deserving of the MVP. Yeah.
1: I agree. I agree with the selection. I thought it was either him or Harvin, and I think since he did you know, Harvin pretty much had the one big play and a couple of nice runs where, uh, Smith really changed the, kind of the dynamic of the game with that touchdown.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. And if you've been following Super Bowl history, no teams ever come back to win from down than more than 10 points. The Tennessee Titans in Super Bowl 34 against the Rams were down 16 and were able to tie, but eventually lost. So once it was 22 to nothing, if Super Bowl history said anything, the game was over. Mm hmm. And, uh, so that's essentially the, the, that would have been given the game-winning goal perhaps in the, in the hockey world. Sure. Or, or, actually that would have gone to Hauschke when he got, uh, uh, I don't even know, cause it would have been eight points. So whatever, that was a stupid, uh, comment by me. <laughs> Let's move on. One of the things I definitely wanted to talk about was the talk of Radio and TV and print today And that is Peyton Manning's Legacy and I have never seen A group of reporters So quick to try To defend a guy's legacy before There were any mainstream people trying To tear it apart everybody right Away saying oh Peyton Manning's legacy wasn't Affected and I had a note that says His legacy was affected But I think I want to change that and say His legacy was actually Confirmed this guy can't win The big one
1: Yeah, and I agree with you. I I was kind of noticing that last week, too. I wasn't really hearing anybody saying, you know, Peyton, you know, this game is going to make or break his career. But I heard a 100 people saying, oh, this game has nothing to do with with his legacy. And then today I I heard the same thing that you did. I didn't hear anybody saying, you know, oh, this guy's a schmuck now. Nobody's been (laughs) saying that. Everybody's been saying he's great in the regular season, and he struggles in the playoffs at times, and that's exactly what was confirmed yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I heard Troy Aikman at the end of the game saying this has nothing to do with his legacy, you know, I say to myself, of course it does. <laughs> it's, it's the Super Bowl. I mean, if anything were to affect your legacy, it's this, and it's scoring eight points in the Super Bowl. Um, and so kind
0: embarrassing. Of it, He'd have been better off scoring six. Eight yeah. just looks desperate for all time. Hey, don't
1: say embarrassing. That's a that's a hurtful term. Oh, yeah. it's, it's an, so an insult. Yeah, insulting. Yeah, um, but of of course it it affects your your legacy as a quarterback when you go to the Super Bowl and that happens, mm-hmm. and you have a consistent record of doing things like that in the playoffs. It it, it is your legacy.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I mean, he's a great quarterback. Nobody's saying he's not, but this is kind of his mo, and it was confirmed.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the thing that that baffles me is what you just said is that everybody's trying to say oh he's still he's still one of the best of all time that that's not what was at stake here. Right. What's at stake? And is now a lost cause, I think, is that nobody's saying he's not one of the best, but his claims to being the best is gone forever, I think, after yesterday's loss. There's nobody close to that number one spot, at least on my list, that ever got beat down in a championship game like that.
1: Right.
0: You know, John Elway is certainly in the conversation, but I think if you actually went back and looked at some of his regular season stats, and some of the competition he played against, that despite his five Super Bowl appearances, he doesn't belong at number one either, and he's the only other major guy that ever won a championship that just got destroyed in a Super Bowl, like Peyton Manning did yesterday. And for guys to come out right away and say, oh, this has nothing to do with his legacy, despite the fact that how he played, imagine LeBron James in... Uh, what, I think it was only five games against the, uh, the Thunder, but imagine that in game seven last year against San Antonio, he shot two of thirty from the floor. Would <laughs> yeah. people have said, oh, this has nothing to do with LeBron, he's won a title, he's one and two, or one and three now in NBA finals, he's still the, you know, up there with Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. I mean, they would have destroyed the guy. Mm-hmm. So is it just because he's a media-friendly guy and everybody thinks of him as, you know, the guy next door or whatever? I don't I don't understand why they're so quick to defend uh, I'm Peyton. Sh-
1: I, I'm sure that has something to do with it. I mean, I don't want to get into a whole LeBron conversation, <laughs> yeah. but there's a whole bunch of reasons why people don't like him, and Peyton's really been nothing but, a, you know, a fun-loving kind of, like, uh shucks guy his whole career, so it's mm-hmm. hard to, I think, for people to kind of hate on him like that, but... Yeah, I, th- I mean, the arguments there, I again, I don't even really want to say, you know, I don't think Payton's a great quarterback or anything like that. He is a great quarterback, but like you said, it's it's tough to be one of the greatest of all times when something like that happens. I'm looking at the score right now, and it's almost shocking. And and you just, I, it's hard to fathom that that's your, one of your greatest quarterbacks of all time, puts up eight. <laughs>
0: yeah, eight just looks so... <laughs> I
1: know, it's worse than seven, it almost is yeah. laughable that
0: seven. I'd almost um, rather have zero. Because eight looks like such desperation. No team that has had a game in control has had eight points on the board. <laughs> I mean, come on. Uh, I, I I so want to get more into Manning versus Brady and his legacy versus Favre and Montana and all those guys, but um, I think we ought to save that for our our top ten quarterbacks show that we're going to do in the off season. I think so. Okay. Uh, Some other things that I have on my list here is Peyton Manning had a Super Bowl record for completions in a game. And to me, that perfectly illustrated this empty passing statistic era that we're in right now, where you can set a record for 35 completions in the Super Bowl in a game that you lost by 35. I mean... I, I think, I think, yeah. think
1: Demarius Thomas set the record for catches as well, didn't he?
0: He did, yes, he did. He had 13, I believe. Mm-hmm. So for that to happen in a game where you're not even close really makes you reevaluate some of the claims, even about Peyton's season this year, where he had 55 touchdowns and he had a bajillion yards. And yes, those are still impressive and, and there's something to be proud of, but didn't, I mean, it just feels like that's, that's how everything works now you have guys like matt ryan who would have had, had numbers that would have made him the pro he would have been the mvp of the nfl in 1985 with his stat line this year and they went 4 and 12 i mean well,
1: i don't know yeah and to play devils advocate too I, I think it does have a lot to do with today's nfl but i think it has a lot to do with an nf or with the super bowl Getting that out of hand so quick, not happening very often. Sure. I mean, they had nothing to do but throw. It's kind of almost surprising that in the uh, the Denver Super Bowl with against San Francisco that they didn't have that many passes. Mm-hmm. There's just not hasn't been that many of huge blowout Super Bowls, and I guess that's a product of that too. I mean, they, they were had to throw the whole game. They didn't really have a choice.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the only other one that I could think of, I, I think I I can't remember if it was. I'm pretty sure it was the Redskins-Bills Super Bowl where Kelly had to throw like 61 times, I think, Mm -hmm. because they just were getting pulverized right out the gate. But, yeah, I think he ended up with 49 pass attempts or something like that and only netted a little over 200 yards, which is horrible. Um, Yeah, 34 of 49 for 280 yards, but still only 5.7 yards per attempt. That's not very good at all. So, I don't really know where to take it from here. Obviously, uh... I just have a scribbled sheet of notes here and I'm not all that prepared. It's a, it's weird to analyze the Super Bowl the day after because you, it's really such a blur with so much other things going on with commercials and pregame and the halftime show. It's really hard to focus on the actual game. It's, you're just trying to take in the moment. At least that's what I find. Mm -hmm. Um, I will want, I I do want to bring this up and I know the, All year we've been hearing about the 12th man and how great fans they are, and I do not doubt that for a second. They seem uh, like super excited, uh, I guess now loyal fans. They did almost move to Los Angeles or Oakland or something in the 90s, but that's okay. I mean, that's a long time ago now. They're very loyal fans. They're very loud in their stadium, but I don't know about you, but I'm so tired of hearing this loudest fans in the world, and they shout to create earthquakes, and people... Report on this like the fans are just that loud, completely ignoring the architecture of the stadium. The only way it could be true that they're just causing earthquakes and Guinness Records with their voices, they hold like 65,000 people in that stadium. So you're telling me that the 110,000 people at Michigan Stadium just either talk half as loud as these people from... Apparently, the people from Seattle have the loudest voices that humans have ever developed, because if they can out-shout uh, crowds that are twice as big as them, then I guess more power to you. But it's like the science part of that really bothers me, that people are just like, oh, yeah, these people are... They, they're they so into Seattle football, they can yell twice as loud as a human being is capable of.
1: Yeah, I, I am kind of tired of hearing about that, too. And obviously, it yeah, has a lot to do with the stadium, like you mentioned, because... Half the college stadiums in the country are bigger than that. Um,
0: Like twice as big. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but I'm kind of tired of hearing about it. But I think on top of it, too, I mean, they start getting this – you know they're getting known for being loud, so then they're just—I mm-hmm. don't know—they're just. You could hear it last night too, which was kind of crazy too in New York Stadium. Yeah, is for it to be that loud. I was—I was shocked because you would think it's probably in essence about half the stadium is only Seahawks fans. Yeah. So I think they've just got this, uh, this mo, and they just like scream as loud as they possibly can. <laughs> like we go to Packer games and it's loud and everybody's—you know. Chatting and clapping, but I think these people are just like, literally, like <laughs> shrieking at the top of their lungs is what I picture, I guess, when I think about it. So <laughs> I don't know if that's what happens, but I guess that's what I picture when I think of them.
0: Well, these fans must not be as devoted as the real Seattle ones because I didn't hear about any earthquakes, and yeah, there, there have been what forty thousand of them there. So <laughs> come least. on, yeah. come on, these Seattle fans—they're just <laughs> yeah. not—they're not real fans. I mean, they're—they're they're like. One sixth of a man, not not the twelfth man. <laughs> okay, um, what would you think about the Super Bowl? I guess some of the other things that go into the Super Bowl, the commercials to me, outside of a couple, were disappointing once again. And I have a, a marketing background. I do some of it as a part of my job now. Uh, that's what I went to school for. And I would love to be in the meetings for some of these ads because. I don't know if they're just out of touch or if they're trying to just go all out. But so many of these ads seem like they're trying so hard, like the Arnold Schwarzenegger Bud Light one and the Ellen DeGeneres one, where they just—I don't know if they think their idea is really funny or they just have to do something outrageous. But um, <laughs> I don't know if you have to break down the X's and O's of the Super Bowl commercials. But gosh, so many of those were lame. And if people thought they were funny, I guess I'm—I'm I'm just really out of touch with middle America. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I agree. They're always disappointing. It seems like, and I I can't remember laughing at any of them really.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: They just, I think the shift now, which I thought was kind of weird, and we noticed last night, was it seems like there's been a shift from ones trying to be really funny, like the the common like Budweiser and all Mm -hmm. these ads like that, and now they're all trying to be like super profound, like all the car commercials and Chrysler and Coke and whoever else. They're just all trying to be like, oh my God, after you see it. But everybody does it, so it's super lame now too. So (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, I. I wasn't really. Uh, I liked the one with the horses and the puppies. That was kind of kind of cute.
0: <laughs> yeah, that one was good.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. There wasn't really none that really stood out to me. I can't remember hardly any of them.
0: Yeah, there were a bunch of them where somebody would rem- like make a remark about one, like two commercial breaks later, and I had zero recollection that it yeah. even happened. Forgettable. Yeah. yeah um, Somebody made the comment, I can't remember what it was, but it was like a two-minute ad for uh, a car. I think
1: that was Chrysler, yeah, where they are made in America.
0: Oh, yeah, was that with Bob Dylan?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, where they were talking about how funny it was that 50 years ago, uh, Bob Dylan was trying to uh, talk down and rebel against that kind of corporate <laughs> um, influence on the world, and now as an old guy, he's like, yeah, I'll take the money, what do you want yeah. me to say? <laughs> Um, and I thought Bruno Mars was awesome. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of his. Uh, uh, some of his songs I really like, and some of them I'm not so crazy about, but I thought that was one of the better halftime shows we've seen in a long time.
1: Yeah, I agree, and I think everybody's shared that sentiment. I know some people are crazy about him, but I, I'm not a big fan when I hear him on the radio, but he was pretty good live, and uh, the Chili Peppers were kind of okay, <laughs> but it was kind of weird, but yeah, I thought Bruno Mars was really good.
0: Yeah, why the heck did they need the Chili Peppers?
1: And they they just played the one song I mean they could have at least played it They had a bunch of hits They just played the one song That was probably the most worn out song
0: they've had <laughs> From like it, 20 years it, ago
1: Yeah and as in good a shape as the lead singer was It was still really awkward that he didn't have a shirt on cause he's probably what like in his mid 40s
0: No he's 51 I looked it up <laughs> Yeah yeah, I guess I was. Uh, I heard some people say he looked kind of fat. I thought he looked pretty good for fifty-one, but it was yeah, still
1: fifty-one. I mean, he was kind of fat ripped, but I mean, for a fifty-one-year-old, it was pretty impressive. I'm
0: like my mom's age. I mean, come yeah. on, dude, go hang out with your grandkids. Yeah, or whatever you got there. Oh, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I thought I thought it was pretty good. Um, before we wrap up our coverage of Super Bowl forty-eight, let's talk about the other major. Uh, thing that happened this weekend and that's the announcement of the 2014 Hall of Fame class and before we debate that I'll just read the list real quick defensive end Michael Strahan uh, wide receiver Andre Reed from the Buffalo Bills left tackle Walter Jones from the Seahawks linebacker Derek Brooks from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers cornerback Aeneas Williams from the Cardinals and Rams uh, defensive end Claude Humphrey from the Falcons and punter Ray Guy from the Raiders this was kind of a weird list, and maybe it's because some of these guys, such as Derek Brooks, Michael Strahan, and Neas Williams, we saw almost their entire careers firsthand, and this is the first time we're actually getting into some of these players for people mm-hmm. our age. And I guess I agree with it somewhat, but at the same point, especially Michael Strahan, to a little lesser extent, and Williams, I'm kind of like, really? I mean... I saw them in a lot. I don't remember trembling in fear thinking of, uh, Aeneas Williams covering Antonio Freeman or anything yeah. like that.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, the whole list seems to be guys that like, yeah, they probably should be in, but none of them are really, <laughs> you think of as, I, I would say I'd put Derek Brooks at the top of this list. I yeah. think that he deserves to be in, no doubt, but. Mm-hmm. The rest of the guys are all kind of that same. I guess Walter Jones was considered the best tackle, and yeah. according to a bunch of magazines that we used to have, like the best player in the NFL. <laughs> Better
0: than I'm Peyton sure. Manning in 2003.
1: Yeah. For a five-year stretch. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, Ray Guy, should. I thought, I'm surprised already wasn't in because he's mm-hmm. generally considered the best at his position of all time, which you would think would consider um, a Hall of Fame ballot, or a mm-hmm. Hall of Fame vote, but... Yeah, I mean, all the guys, I can't really argue with any of them. It's just nobody really stands out, and it's kind of an overall weak class.
0: I've heard the Ray Guy issue brought up for years, like a decade, about how great this guy was. And it's hard to tell because he's a punter. You're like, well, how do you tell the difference between punters all that much? I mean, unless they're B.J. Sander or Derek (laughs) Frost, you you don't really notice them. But I did see, uh, I was watching uh, Super Bowl 18 uh, the other day, In the we had a snow cancellation. I work at a college, so I was just watching some old Super Bowls I had on iTunes, and they had a snap that was way worse than um, the Peyton Manning snap yesterday, and Ray Guy jumped up and he grabbed it with one hand, pulled it back down, and punted it like 40 yards before nice. uh, anybody could get him. So I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I get the Ray Guy hype a little bit. <laughs> Um, Walter Jones is one of those guys where I'll just have to take their word for it. Yeah. It's like Willie Rofe where it's just like, this guy's the best. How do you know? I don't know. Just He is Pro Bowl every year. Yep. And it it feels like offensive linemen more than anybody. It, once they say you're good, you're going to go to the Pro Bowl every year of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like maybe the Joe Thomas treatment now. I think he's gone to the Pro Bowl every single year of his career. Yeah, I think so. The... Claude Humphrey, I looked up his stats and he was a defensive end before there were any, uh, before there were sacks being totaled and he played most of his career for like the early Falcons. He's one of those guys where it, they must just get together at these pro football writers conventions and just say, hey, Claude Humphrey, this is the year for him. Why? I don't know because there's not a lot of Falcons in there and he's old and I just saw a three minute highlight package of Claude Humphrey bumping around guys and (laughs) it's like how could you like, (laughs) <laughs> I don't know, I mean, maybe I didn't see him play, but how many people voting today remember Claude yeah, Humphrey yeah. and the 68 Falcons?
1: Mm-hmm. And why hadn't those people voted him in already? <laughs> I mean, it's been <laughs> yeah. 35 years, how come, or 45 years, how come he's not in already?
0: I've never even heard his name, and I'm not exactly like a novice when it comes to NFL history i can ballpark some of every team's best players and once you get to about the 80s i can tell you everybody's pro bowlers and i'd never even heard of claude humphrey until he was announced as a hall of famer mm-hmm. um and the other one is andre reed kind of weird uh, for me there is such a logjam at wide receiver and once you start andre reed was on some really good teams but i've seen a lot of andre reed play and not just like highlights like actual games and trying to decide guys like him versus Marvin Harrison versus Torrey Holt versus Isaac Bruce, it becomes really difficult because there's, or Tim Brown too, there's really not a whole lot between any of them. They all just look like really good receivers, but you you go into a game and it'll be like, oh, Tim Brown first down, Andre Reed first down, and, and maybe Andre Reed's the best of the bunch, but it feels like there's so many of these receivers where you're just watching the game, your team wins by a touchdown, or their team loses by a touchdown, or maybe even wins by 14, and then they show the stat lines, and they're like, Andre Reed, 11 catches, 141 yards, and a touchdown. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, wow, I guess I didn't notice. Yeah. Um, I guess, do you have a preference over any of those kind of logjam receivers? If you had to choose kind of from that group who's left, mainly Isaac Bruce, Jimmy Smith, Marvin Harrison, Torrey Holt, you can throw Reggie Wayne in there. Uh, I think I said Tim Brown, but uh, reiterate him. I guess... I don't think you can take all of them. Who do you take and who do you leave off?
1: Yeah, that's tough. I mean, they let Art Monk in and it kind of. Yeah. I, it, they're just seeming to kind of let these guys in now who weren't necessarily. I don't even want to say they weren't great. They were definitely great receivers, but um, didn't necessarily scare you. They were all kind of the same body type and all kind of did mm-hmm. the exact same thing. I think you have to put Marvin Harrison in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think. I would put Tim Brown in if I had to choose from the group. Isaac Bruce might be close there, but that also has a lot to do with the teams they were on too, because they were relevant. Where a guy like Jimmy Smith, sure he was around a lot and was even in the playoffs a lot, but I mean he never sniffed the Super Bowl, and mm-hmm. um, you know that's probably his only detractor is that he wasn't ever in the big game. And it's the same for a lot of these guys that probably would be in the Pro Bowl, or would be in the Hall of Fame had they been in a couple of Super Bowls, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. They're all kind of the same to me. So I guess you know Marvin Harrison setting records. He'd probably be my first guy in out of that list.
0: Yeah, it see, yeah, I I think you have to put Marvin Harrison in because he is setting the records. But he, as good as he was, did you ever worry about Marvin Harrison when you played the Colts? It just felt like it was he, Peyton Manning. Yeah. Yeah. He he he's had guys like Austin Collie have. Outstanding seasons, and Dallas Clark had a thousand yard recei- uh, receiving season as a, you know, a, a, you know, better than average tight end, and maybe that's being a little unfair to him, but I guess the more I think about it, Isaac Bruce, I've seen some of his early stuff more recently, and he was really good, especially in 1995, and he was playing with Mark Rippon and Chris Miller and just was unstoppable at times. He had like 18, 17, 1,800 yards receiving. So I wow. think maybe i am changed my opinion on him. He's got the big 70-yard bomb touchdown in the Super Bowl, which certainly helps things. But Tim Brown, the more I think about it, I was always kind of against his inclusion, but I've come around with that because you think about all these other guys. Even Jimmy Smith played a lot of years with Mark Brunel, who was definitely in the top third of the NFL quarterbacks. Tim Brown's career is playing with Jay Schrader and old Jeff Hostetler and Billy Joel Tolliver and some of those kind of guys. And so if he was able to have 1,000-yard seasons when he's playing with Vince Evans and Billy Joel Tolliver and... You know, Je- Jeff Hostetler with one arm in a sling, I-, I think that's pretty good.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true.
0: But, uh, yeah, and, and Strahan, I guess, did you hear any of the stuff with him and SAP?
1: I, I guess I didn't hear specifics. I knew they were having a little beef, but I didn't hear the exact same uh, thing said. I did hear what SAP said today, though. He, like, super apologized, and everybody kind of made fun of him for
0: it. Okay. Yeah, I, all I saw was the headline was that he didn't think that Strahan should be in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And... I guess, to me, I don't know about Strahan. He's another guy where, almost like Jared Allen, where Jared Allen is, if he has his average, he's 30 years old, if he has his average for four more years, he'll be like, uh, I think, third all time in sacks. And who would have thought that? You're just like, oh, it's Jared Allen on the field, I hope. You don't, like aren't terrified of him. <laughs> he's just
1: always consistently good, yeah.
0: Yeah, and and maybe Strahan kind of felt like that. And granted, there's something to be said with that being in the Hall of Fame, but um, I don't know. He's another one of those guys where he's one of the guys, I think, case in point, when you see Kevin Green continually be held out, that if he wasn't replacing Regis and on the Fox NFL Sunday yep. show, would he have been a Hall of Famer?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, point. Mean, and I think that's why he's the first ballot, too. I think he deserves to be in. I mean, he does have a single-season record Yeah. Um, for sacks, but I, that definitely helps. He's a celebrity, so people are going to vote for him.
0: Sure. All right, well, I guess now that we just basically talked down every single guy going into the yeah. Hall of Fame, um, <laughs> congratulations, you guys, <laughs> on your inclusion. So that about wraps it up for our coverage of Super Bowl 48 in the weekend. A lot going on. Um, I guess I apologize if I rambled a lot, but you know there's a, there's a lot to talk about, and uh, the season's over now. So I guess we wait until next season. We'll get an opportunity to talk about the Packers and some of their uh, needs in the off season in future shows. Um, also, what you can do is hopefully we can do some more crossfires and what-ifs in the off season. So if you want to send those to us, uh, the best place to post them would be on the Facebook page. I know we got a couple on there already that hopefully we can get to. Uh, that's Green and Gold Forever Podcast at Facebook. You can also post on our website, which is www.greengoldforever.podbean.com. That's the number four. And uh, you can leave a comment on there as well underneath this podcast or any of our other articles and podcasts. So, oh, Matt, are you depressed that football's over? Not as much as usual for some <laughs> reason. I, I don't know how to
1: explain it. I'm sure I will be in about a month. But mm-hmm. right now, just not a great season for the Packers overall and a pretty anticlimactic Super Bowl, I guess. I'm okay with it right now.
0: Yeah, I am too. Doesn't it feel like it was a year and a half since the Packers have played?
1: It does, yeah.
0: Um, at least this year we have the Olympics to bridge the gap until baseball season starts, or at least until yep, March Madness and hockey. Yeah, well, that's right. I forgot you you were you're a hockey person. <laughs> did the Rangers win that outdoor game against? They did. They had actually. It was weird. They had
1: two within a week. Yeah. They had one on like a Saturday and a Tuesday, and they won both.
0: On a Tuesday?
1: Yeah, it was a weekday one against the Islanders.
0: Was that rescheduled, or was that supposed to be like that? I think it was supposed
1: to be. I didn't know. I knew about the first one, but then all of a sudden they had another one right after it. I don't know what was going on there.
0: That's bizarre. Yeah, yeah it seems like they're really kind of, They're overextending that gimmick a little bit. There they was really like are. four games this year.
1: They had an interview with... Um, oh, I, forget. I think it was... Um, I don't remember who it was, but they had an interview with an actor. They're like, what do you think of these outdoor games? They're like, yeah, it's good if you don't have so many or something like that right <laughs> on live camera. It was pretty great.
0: They're like the guy at the party who will tell the joke and then everybody laughs and then he'll tell it like six more times no, in the next ten minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so come on, NHL, you're you're gonna ruin like the the only attraction you have left right now. Mm-hmm. All right, so that'll uh, guess that will start the spinoff of our hockey podcast. It'll probably <laughs> start next week, but until uh, I, I look back, probably every two or three weeks we're gonna hope to do a show. Don't hold me to that. I'm not going to sign any contract because last year we tried to do that and it kind of fell apart. But every two to three weeks we're going to try to do that. And I promise you, I did deliver by uh, posting one article during the Super Bowl. I do have some other ones that I want to work on, so maybe uh, check back to the website from time to time and uh, see my thoughts on different things if that's something you care to do. Uh, until our next show, um, for Matt in Eau Claire, I'm Eric in Oshkosh. Thanks for listening once again. And the 2014 season is over, and... Pete Carroll is now uh, a Super Bowl champion with as many Super Bowl victories as Mike Holmgren and uh, Tony Dungy. And, uh, yeah, yuck indeed. Take care, everyone.